Welcome to the news and why it matters. I am Sarah Gonzalez. Uh, welcome back to Kevin Williamson from National Review. Thank yeah. you so much for being here. My Special pleasure. guest. Uh, Stu, what was the top story for you? Well, I'm often tasked with bringing the sexy to this program, um, and so I'm doing that today again. Uh, huh. All the sexiest news about washers and dryers on today's program. Okay, I'm actually into that. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as the woman at the table. You may not know, but Stu is not wearing pants either. So well, this is like just across the board sexy. Well, I was going to make that a reveal, but whatever. News program, come on. He doesn't wear pants on a normal day, right? <laughs> Kevin, what's your top story? Uh, idiots trying to get Camille Paglia fired from her job at the uh, school no formerly known as the Philadelphia Textiles College. Oh, I love this story. All right, Andrew. I was going to talk about dish, uh, dishwasher tariffs, but I, Stu beat me to it, so ah, yes. uh, I'm going to talk about immigration. All right. A lot to get into there. First, we want to thank our sponsor, Ridiazone. So we're almost to May, uh, and then we're going to be right into summer, right? June, July, mm -hmm. uh, we're into summer, and I know there's a lot of people who might wind up at a beach. Or, or maybe not wearing pants on a TV show. Maybe mm. not wearing mm -hmm. pants on a TV show. I mean, again, that's every day for you, mm -hmm. but we'll pretend like it's just a summer thing. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> um, but if you are struggling with losing the, you know, maybe you've got like 10 extra pounds that you just cannot seem to get off. You're dieting. You're just like eating lettuce and starving yourself and nothing seems to work. Uh, might I suggest you try Ridizone. The folks at ReadyZone have, they've put uh, the good molecule in olive oil. It's called OEA, which stands for this really long word that I don't know how to pronounce. <laughs> uh, but they've put OEA into the capsule that you can take before your meals, and it helps boost your metabolism and also reduce your appetite. Um, I know from personal experience how hard it is to lose weight and maintain. I lost like 100 pounds a ton of years ago, and um, yes, that's me, the number 10. So I know the struggle. Uh, I use Ridizone to maintain. We've heard from a lot of viewers who they write in all the time. You guys, you guys, it's working for you. Um, so be one of the many who have tried Ridizone and had success stories with it. Go to Ridizone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Enter promo code TheBlaze and you will get 30% off of a three-month supply. Uh, we did the math for you. That's $1.39 a day. I think that you can afford that invested in your health Radiozone.com, promo code TheBlaze. All right, Stu, washers and dryers. I mean, I'm, I'm already whew, <laughs> I know. I'm already hot. Everyone's fired up. Uh, so, yeah, the, I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, some of the things that we've liked about Donald Trump's presidency. We've focused on some of the things we haven't liked over the years. My least favorite part of the Donald Trump presidency has to be his trade policy. I hate it. Agreed. I hate every bit of it. Uh, and I just don't understand his, his just like almost religious dedication to tariffs. Uh, and, you know, as we all know, and we've gone over the reports, uh, you know, that have looked back at all the previous tariffs and how they haven't worked and they haven't had the results that ever anyone would want. Um, but the new uh, tariffs are out. And the first one they did was washers and dryers. And uh, we have the first set of results of what actually happened with the washer and dryer tariffs. And again, this is just one little slice of the economy. Imagine when, when this is even expanded even further, as it already has been, and it's been spread to different uh, different parts of the uh, economy. So uh, the argument usually here for the tariffs is, first of all, well, uh, you know, we are getting screwed by these other countries. And what we need to do is we need to, you know, why not raise tariffs and we'll bring some money into the government. Okay, let's look at that claim. Here we go. The annual revenue collected by the U.S. Treasury because of these uh, tariffs is $82 million. Now we have uh, the cost to consumers annually, and that's just the $1.5 billion. Huh. So if you'll notice, one, one line on the graph is larger than the other line. So even if you believe, which I don't, that it would be okay to cost consumers money, to give money to the government, I think that's a terrible idea. Even if it worked, it doesn't even work. 
That's number one. Then you hear, well, you know what? We, we're having this economic problems. We need to create jobs. You've got to create jobs. And you know what? I will say, the washer-dryer tariffs did create some jobs. Here we go. Jobs created by the washer-dryer tariffs, 1,800. The cost per job, just $815,000 per job. Now, that number seems incredibly high, although it's very much in line with past tariffs. I think the average of the past, uh, you know, it was a few dozen uh, tariffs that had been studied in a previous paper by Scott Linsicum showed it. It was about $630,000 per job. So this one's a little bit worse than average. Should I just quit washing my clothes yeah. and buy new clothes every time? <laughs> yes. This is what I'm just go to Target every day on the way to work to get underwear. This is what I'm getting from this. Or don't wear pants to work. That's another way I've solved it. I'm not going to get screwed by these tariffs. (laughs) Okay, and uh, last one, we just look at what it means to you. Uh, We hear all the time, you know, well, look, I'll pay an extra quarter for my avocado, which, of course, uh, Sarah Gonzalez would actually do. Um, I would never pay a dime for an avocado because they're horrible. (laughs) But uh, let's talk about washers and dryers here. Before tariffs, this fancy washer and dryer set, $890.94. After tariffs, that same exact unit... $1,069.94. It's about a 20% increase. It's almost like a tax. It is almost. (laughs) Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Like a tax. Yeah. Um, You know, they go into the, uh, the study goes into uh, what if they just had just taken the money and created some program to create jobs and it would have cost something like, you know, $30,000 a job instead of $815,000 through tariffs. So even if you like giant government policies and you think they should just be creating jobs for no particular reason, just spending our money on it, even even if you like that, this is an incredibly inefficient and awful way to do it. Can I ask a quick point of clarification? Are we sure about that 1,800 jobs? Because usually I look at those things, it'll say jobs created or saved, saved, and then it's like seven degrees of separation away from the washer and dryer industry, and it's some guy Mm -hmm. at a 7-Eleven who one time sold a cup of coffee (laughs) to a guy who worked in a washer and dryer plant, and they come in with that. I bet you if you drill down into those numbers, um, 1,800 is going to be an exaggeration. Yeah, and you usually find, too, that 1,800 is, they usually present the maximum number, because these, this is such a great economic argument, you don't even have to, like, drill into the numbers to to disprove it. I'll take all their numbers just from the the top and accept them, and you still see how ridiculous it is. But you're right, they probably are, they probably are actually overblown. It's probably more than 815,000. So in a country with 100 million employed people, something like that, 1,800 is a number that's not even statistically detectable. Yeah. I don't yeah. think, and all know. the people that, do, I mean, like, think about this. I mean, $800 purchase is a big purchase for a lot of people. And, you know, you're going to get a washer and dryer and, you know, like, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. The yeah. fact that you just have to pay an extra $200, an extra 20% on top of it is, I mean, it, for to, I mean, it's just a basic redistribution of wealth system, right? We're taking money from people who really want their washer and dryer. We're taking $178 from them and we're funneling $815,000 Per job to 1,800 people. Like, that is, if we said that was Obamacare, everyone would fight it like crazy. And the idea that just because it comes from tariffs, people accept it is just, it's, it doesn't make and any sense. And it's a big thing to people who don't have a lot of political power. Yeah. You know, people who make $400,000 a year and a couple of hundred extra bucks on the wash and dryer, they don't even notice it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, they don't even think twice about it. But if you're someone who makes $34,000 a year, you know, you've got two kids, it's a whole different sort of economy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those people never really get their interest taken into account. No. And you said you have how many? I have three different washing machines because <laughs> really? I'm doing very well for myself. <laughs> but for people that, you know, are scraping by to get one washing only machine, only have the one. $300. We like to call them the peasants. Yeah. yeah. If you're There's a surf and you've got a washing machine for your clothes, then yeah, they're like $300. That makes a difference. Yeah. And I really do think that, you know, the, we've had good economic results in the last few years. Uh, imagine what they could be if we weren't playing these games all the time. I mean, it, it could be even better. And I will say that, like, going into this, uh, into this election, 
you know, I'm sure, you know, no one will come up with such a, you know, a, a cynical policy, but like releasing these things at the right time before this election is something that somebody in the White House is going to suggest because it will give a sugar rush to that economy. And if they do it at the right time. What if, yeah, what uh, if, what, what if uh, to get voters, we did a good economic policy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's that a can, little tricky. It's edgy. Yeah. Yeah. It's edgy. That is some forward thinking. Right <laughs> I, I think last time you were here, we were talking about trade uh, uh, and trade deficit and tariffs. And I remember you had um, a really good explanation on why it doesn't make sense to obsess over the trade deficit. Oh, it's just a meaningless figure. Um, trade deficits don't have any economic consequence, and they're not really, typically speaking, the product of um, consumer preferences. Trade deficits come from capital surpluses. So there are a lot of people who want to invest in the United States. They want to buy American assets, American stocks, and things like that. And so if they're overseas, they take their earnings from their exports to the United States, and they buy, they invest it rather than buying consumer goods with it. And the difference between those two things is what a trade deficit is. So if you've got $100 million in earnings from exports, and you spend that $100 million on building a factory uh, in the United States where you spend American dollars for it, you don't have that $100 million to buy widgets from American makers of washing and dryer machines and whatnot, (laughs) I guess. And so then you have a trade deficit, but it's a capital surplus. They're just flip sides of the same thing. Right. Um, all right. I want to move on to uh, you said I don't want to I don't want to butcher her name. Camille Paglia. Camille Paglia. Yeah. I would have said Paglia. Paglia. So I, that's why I had you say yeah, it first. I think that's a <laughs> Southern Italian thing. So Camille Paglia is a professor at a school we are now supposed to call the University of the Arts. Uh, Glenn and I both used to work in Philadelphia at the same time back when this was the Philadelphia Textiles College, as I recall. Mm. And, you know, it's an academic powerhouse institution, as you can imagine. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, when I think of famous American public intellectuals, I think of Philadelphia University of the Arts. Anyway, um, (laughs) some of the students there want to have Camille Paglia fired. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she is is, uh, Marxist, lesbian, feminist, all the way to the wall whack job, but also a brilliant scholar and a critic of a lot of feminist orthodoxies and someone who always just sort of speaks your mind, believes very strongly in the free exchange of ideas and free speech and uh, giving voice to heterodox ideas, which of course must be forbidden on a college campus because God forbid these students should hear something they don't like. And what particularly bothered me about this, by the way, good on the college, which told these kids to sit down and shut up, basically, and say, we don't fire students or professors for having opinions you don't like, mm. junior. I'm shocked that they Where, actually yeah. Yale yeah, didn't manage up. that, did they? No. You know, when it was that Yale dean a couple of years ago, that, that Yale dean got canned. Uh, but here's what one of the students said, the student who organized the protest. And I just think the quote is worth reading because it's so of our times. I had a concern that she would be able to speak. Uh-oh. Wow. And her fans were allowed onto our campus into our main classroom building where there will be trans individuals and sexual assault survivors, said Joseph McAndrew. We're giving a space for her following to come into our safe space that we pay for. Mm. Joseph McAndrew, you are a pansy and you need to grow up. (laughs) Uh, What is wrong with you Mm. that some 70-year-old professor who has ideas you don't like about, I don't know, she has all sorts of ideas I don't like. She's a Marxist. But... um, (laughs) And you think that she needs to be fired because you feel terrified by this old lady with tenure. It's just kind of bonkers. But good on the university for telling them we don't do that. I don't think that it's a pansy thing. I think it's actually more, I, I know you're being, you're being yeah. glib, but I, no, I, I'm not. 
I, think, <laughs> see, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a pansy thing. I think it's a, like a theocratic thing. Like yeah. I, I think that it is this, the same mindset of that is blasphemy, and you may not say that, and you may not think it in this universe or any other universe. That's the, we're, we're seeing that kind of thought control thing going on yeah. where it's not okay that's, that's outside the bounds of dogma, and the dogma must be maintained. And the, the definition of threat is really interesting. I had a piece in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week about a funny little episode. You know Charlie Kirk from Turning yes, Point sure. USA? Yes. He was invited to speak like to the neighborhood club at Fisher Island, which is the wealthiest zip code in the United States, um, where the annual income is a million dollars a year more than the second wealthiest zip code. Wow. I mean, washing machines, uh, those guys. Have those people have a lot of washing, washing machines. machines. So it's a little island, you know, full of billionaires off the uh, coast of Florida, and someone tried to have his speech canceled because she quote felt threatened by it. Mm. Like you can rent a small army. You know, you're, this is just Charlie Kirk. I mean, I'm sure he's a good guy and all that stuff, but I don't think he's a threat to, you know, much of anything, probably. Actually, his words. Just his words. Just his words. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like Charlie Kirk was coming with a baseball bat right. and saying, you know, I'm going to break some kneecaps. It was just they didn't want him to talk. And it's always framed in this language of threat. And I found what's really interesting about that is that um, if you look at, you know, Facebook especially, but some of the other media companies, they also... Um, frame the issue the same way as a matter of public safety. And uh, so I can see maybe a public safety argument for where we take Al-Qaeda recruiting videos off of Facebook. But, you know, Dennis Prager? <laughs> I mean, Dennis Prager is a lot of things, but a threat to public safety is just not one of them. And it's just not even a plausible rationale, but these are not plausible times, I suppose. Stewie, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I'm just, I just don't, I, I, we have this fascination with, uh, with just being really worked up about every little thing, you know? I mean, Glenn did this book, Addicted to Outrage, and I swear I keep coming back to it because it's like, that is more than almost anything else, seemingly the defining characteristic of our times. Like, people just love it. They thirst for outrage. Yeah. Just every day, like, to make them feel alive, they've got to get pissed off at something on the internet. And I know it's like always my worst day. I mean, I've certainly had them. I think everybody who's been on Twitter has had that day where they're all pissed off. Uh, and they're fighting with people. Uh, and it's just, uh, A, I never think of it as a productive day. You know, I'm always distracted from something that I should actually be doing. And B, you know, like it's never, I'm, I'm never who I want to be on those days. Like I don't look back at that and say, wow, I just can't wait till tomorrow so I can, you know, call someone sarcastic names again. Which I mean, I, I do tend to do that from time to time. I mean, you don't just do that on Twitter, though. Yeah. No, I do that all the In time. Think about political outrage. It's a way for dumb people to feel smart. Mm. essentially. Yeah. A it's a way for people point. who don't really think very seriously about issues to make themselves appear to be taking it seriously and uh, yeah. feel a sense of consequence. And also expand, like Ocasio-Cortez, that, you just yeah. explained yes. her entire career right there. If you talk to people who really know a lot about something, whatever it is, they very rarely get upset about it. Yeah. And when you take two people who know a lot about something and they disagree, their arguments about this are not, well, you're a Nazi. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. just not how it looks. But when people who don't know anything about stuff, that's how they talk to one another. Mm. Andrew looks. You just like blew my mind. <laughs> just like I'm gonna like, I'm gonna record this episode. I'm gonna go home and like paste that out of my refrigerator. Look at that every day before people yell at me. Well, yeah, <laughs> I used to it. <laughs> All right, back in a minute. Oh, that's absolutely true. Yeah, that's I've, I've never, I've never spoken to an expert who flipped out when I had. Before we get back into it, I want to thank our sponsor, realestateagentsitrust.com. So, Stu, I feel like mm-hmm. you would agree that the very best way to find a realtor is to find the guy with the giant billboard with his face on it. Well, yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. I yeah. mean, that's a that's a yeah. top option. Another one, though, is like if you happen to if you what if your kid has a has a friend whose uh-huh. parent happens to be a real estate agent mm-hmm. part time. That's another really good way to, yes. get, to get one. 
You could do that, or you could go to realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, they have a way of screening through agents. Um, one of the things I like about this, and, and Glenn mentions every once in a while, is uh, the, the people who join this, obviously it's a Glenn Beck company, so the people who join it, like Glenn, uh, don't think he's uh, Hitler himself, uh, which is nice. Uh, so that means that when you're driving to the house you're going to see, they're not going to be like telling you about the most wonderful Ocasio-Cortez tweet that came out the day before. Uh, there's kind of like a, you kind of at least are going to have something in common with them, likely. Uh, and uh, they're people who, uh, you know, have the same values as the show. And we try to, we, you know, try to find people who, you know, can do business the way that, you know, I know Glenn likes to do business, which is with honesty and being straightforward. Yeah. Um, and they are all across the country. I think there are over uh, 1,200 agents all across the country. We have one where you are located. So whether you are buying or selling, especially for moving to a new area. Uh, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. They do it full-time. They're the ones who are going to know where is going to be best for you and your family, realestateagentsitrust.com. <clears throat> All right, Andrew. We're going to talk about immigration, yeah. yes. And uh, Jared, Kirshner, uh, Jared Kushner. So Jared Kushner, uh, talking to Time or, or some affiliated event, uh, described recently the immigration plan that he would like to roll out, which they've, they've played with before, which is the idea of moving to a merit-based system. Now, I think that I, I have no problem with this. I, I, I think if I'm, I'm frequently, you know, kind of uh, punching against some of the policies of the Trump administration. I think that this is fine. It's actually very much in keeping with most of the, the Anglosphere of, of, you know, uh, uh, England or Canada, Australia. Uh, uh, most of the, the countries in the British Commonwealth are like this. So I, I think a lot of the, re, the ref, uh, reflexive anger at this policy is misplaced because it's coming out of the Trump administration. It must be racist. This must be bad. It's basically the same thing Canada does. What Canada does is they've got a list of different things that you can uh, that, that in, make you a more appealing prospect for coming into the country. So if you speak English, you get X amount of points. Curling. Like if, you, if, you're, if you're good at curling, how good at you're you cutting get in. Seals. Doesn't matter your background. You get in. What, what do you can you make maple syrup? All those different things, right? Uh, and so it's a merit-based system, which which I think is fine, and I, I think would probably have a certain amount of incentive for us to Im- increase the amount of immigrants we have coming into the country. Right now, we've got a much more complicated system, but a lot of it's built on. Um, trying to reunite families, which means that there's a humanitarian impulse, which is nice, but it doesn't necessarily translate into more jobs or more entrepreneurs. I would love for the United States to be a brain drain on the rest of the planet. I think that would be great. There are a lot of people that come over here legally to get their graduate degree, and then they have to leave. Mm-hmm. And if they're if they're doing the graduate degree in basically anything I've ever studied, we're, we're full. But if they're doing it in, say, engineering, uh, absolutely stay over here. That would be great. Can you move to Silicon Valley tomorrow? Form some companies. That would be terrific. I'd like that. So I'm fine with the system. I would love if they if they incentivized um, some things to let the Democratic House come on board with this. And some of the things they could do, which I also think would be very beneficial, would be to get more judges down to the border yes. to dictate on asylum. Um, that is a weird confluence where I... I, I do not believe I'm misquoting anybody here, but I think Glenn and Bernie Sanders actually kind of share a, a similar policy position on that, mm-hmm. which is that there's way too many people at the border. Mm-hmm. There's way too many people that are applying for asylum status. We need more judges down there. So that would be a good thing they could do. The other thing they could do is not endorse the RAISE Act. Now, this came out a couple of years ago. It's, I think, Tom Cotton and a couple of other people. And um, it's basically trying to lessen the amount of legal immigrants coming in. Um, I'll say I think that there are a lot of conservatives that are pro-immigrant but pro-border security at the same time. Yes. And there are conservatives who are just anti-immigrant. The RAISE Act is anti-immigrant. It just doesn't want them. It wants to limit the amount of legal immigrants we have coming in. I think that's terrible. So don't go with that one. Get some border <laughs> judges, and then let's get a merit-based system. I'd be fine with that. I would say, um, Kevin, tell me if you agree. I think there are far more uh, conservatives who are pro-border security and pro-legal immigration. Yeah, I think this uh, plan is doomed because 
no one can take seriously the juxtaposition of the words merit-based and Jared Kushner. Which <laughs> 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 is kind of hard to see. Um, actually, I, I sort of like this approach. And uh, something I've argued for in the past is just take a very simple approach to, I mean, it can't be that simple, but for people who are being offered jobs that say $250,000 a year or more, just say, yes, here's a green card. Come. I mean, background check, do what you need to do. Um, because at that end of the market, people can deal with a little competition. And also, you're not really like shopping around for low wages at $300,000 a year. You're looking for a particular kind of person. So yeah, that would cut our, our, our total number of legal immigrants down quite a bit. But it would also, I think, be a pretty good uh, proxy for a merit-based system. And while I think using just income as a uh, proxy for merit is kind of maybe vulgar and clumsy, I don't trust Washington to come up with a better proxy for merit. Can I just make Kevin my vote today <laughs> on everything? You're, whatever you think, I'm just going to be like, whatever Kevin said. Oh, that's fine. Yes. You yeah, I mean, I think that's been one, politically speaking, because I, I agree with you on the policy there. Um, but politically speaking, I think it's been a real uh, mistake of Republicans in general to focus almost all of their energy on illegal immigration instead of just talking about the wonders of legal immigration. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know... We just, for some reason, the, the that I, I think the idea of having border security, uh, rule of law, a merit-based system to have people come in, uh, and encouraging as many people with merit to come as possible is a really that's really the compassionate position. I mean, I, re, I think it's the compassionate position. I think it's the right position. Um, and instead of that, we've been. I mean, like, look, I get the wall being kind of a chanting thing at, at rallies. And I think Glenn has made this point before that really the wall winds up being a proxy for I'm annoyed that you guys haven't done something already, you know, which is true. Um, and I do think that border security is important. We've talked about it many, many times here. But that other side of it is like, it, 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 you know, you can focus on doing the right thing, but also emphasize to people that like, hey, like we actually really like it. You see, I think, you know, we, I was talking about the United States is essentially an all-star team. It's all the best people from all around the world. We're like, I'm just going to get on a boat. I don't know. I'll just go over there. Let's see what happens. Like someone who's willing to do that has balls and they're going to come over here and they're going to do things that are exciting for the country and make the country better. I think it's one of the reasons why this country has really, I mean, you know, done so many great things. Um, if you watch All-Star Games, you also realize that maybe sometimes the chemistry gets off when you do that sort of thing. Uh, maybe it is true, but I think it's one of those things that we achieve so much through that. And you talk, to, you talk to immigrants who come here legally and go through that process, and they're like among the best Americans. They're the people who are, who are doing great things. They're, they're working their butts off. They're, they, they, they are achieving things and pushing us, which I love as well. So I think that focus for Republicans and, and, and conservatives in general would be much more beneficial than always talking about the security. The security is important, but it should just be part of that package, not the entire thing. Yeah. Um, before we go, I, do, I know that you got in a little dig at mm. Jared Kushner. <laughs> I've actually been surprised I, at yeah, how— I, that, I would be with you on that. Yeah, I, I have perceived him to be very good uh, at his job um, and kind of more involved in good policy— than I would have guessed he would have been before he started the job. Mm. Kevin doesn't seem I, to agree. Kevin, what do I think? Kevin's like, I'm just going to be polite and stare at her and not is there, is there a question in here somewhere? <laughs> um, I think he's been a good influence on the Trump camp, uh, administration, generally speaking. Yes. I don't think he's, you know, everyone, no one's perfect. Yeah, but you got to I mean, be, I mean, just, you know, don't let your guard down yeah. with him and remember who he is. But I, f- I feel like he's done a lot more, you know. Well, the Trump administration is, you know, kind of a Star Wars cantina of yeah. characters. <laughs> and, I mean, there's some very good people on there. I think very highly people like yeah. Larry Kudlow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, standing out in that, in that gang, though, is um, maybe a fairly low bar to... No, I did. <laughs> 
<laughs> Again, exceeding expectations is exactly what, it is, what I say it is. It's really looking forward to Herman Cain. We're just, yeah. we're <laughs> that's half full over here. That's All right, back in a minute. It'd be interesting to see with Stephen Moore, too. I, I mean, they're now going back yeah. to like fighting. Kane dropped out, though, didn't he? Yeah, Kane's out. Kevin, before we go into overtime, I know you said that you just had a piece in the Wall Street Journal um, earlier this week. Where else mm. can people find you? Uh, mostly National Review. Because you are one of the smart people who does not have social media or Twitter. Mm-hmm. As that is she true. She was talking I, I, about I, I, earlier, just I'm being outraged about everything. Yeah, you should do that stuff. I never found a whole lot of value uh, in it, to be honest. And if you're a writer, it's a really good way to waste time and procrastinate. Because there's there's idiots there, and idiots are fun to just kind of, you know, back <laughs> around. But can I run your Twitter for you then? And you then, can. Uh, I'll yeah. give you the credentials. Right, cool. <laughs> it's going to be a fun day. Yeah. It's going to work out well for you, Kevin, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that. All right. Much more to come in overtime. You can tune in at blazetv.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you there. Up next, enjoy bonus overtime content from the news and why it matters. Available exclusively for podcast listeners and Blaze TV subscribers. Not a subscriber? Start your free trial at blazetv.com. On the subject of the border and illegal immigration, there was a New York Times columnist, Thomas Friedman, who went and visited the border. Um, and he had some really interesting things to say about what he had determined after visiting the border watch. I'm as radically pro-immigration as they come, but it's pretty clear to me that unless we can assure uh, a significant number of Americans that we can control our border, we're never going to have the proper immigration flow I think we need, we desire, and that we have actually a moral responsibility uh, given our history as a, as a nation of immigrants and, and a refuge uh, uh, for people uh, fleeing persecution. We have a president who actually, when you think about it, Wolf, he has the, he has the chops with his base. If he were to sit down, call Nancy Pelosi up, say, we're going up to Camp David, you bring your immigration team, I'll bring mine, I'll leave Stephen Miller at home, and we will actually sort out a compromise here where, because Democrats were ready to, to fund more border security, but at the same time, we're going to create a legal pathway for people here, we're going to limit the number of ICE uh, arrests, and we're going to have a rational uh, inflow of people. So just kind of interesting to me, coming from the New York Times, you know, someone who actually goes out there and experiences it uh, comes back and says, you know, in in his writing, in his work, that the solution would would be a high wall, that that would be a proper border solution. It's amazing what happens when a journalist goes out and does some journalism. Isn't it? Instead of just reporting in different sentences how yeah. someone else has already covered something. Yeah. Well, Thomas Friedman has an august career of being in taxis and talking to taxi drivers, isn't that like his <laughs> yeah, thing for about 10 years? Or just talking to taxi interview, drivers? Yeah. 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 Um, I, Uber I, really is hard on that guy's career. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will also say over the weekend, over Easter weekend, um, I was speaking with someone at my parents' church, and she has a, um, I guess it's a nephew who is in the Army, and he's stationed over on the border, and she said she talked to him, and he was just so uh, disheartened um, because he said, you know, we came out here, I left my, my newborn baby at home to come out here, and 
literally all we're doing is standing watch at the border. We can't do anything. We're watching these people come in. You know, we just saw 85 people, uh, you know, in a few hours cross over the border and we cannot do one thing. They've tied our hands so much. All we can do is just call Border Patrol. So what is even the point of us being there? I mean, it just seems Mm. like a, a crappy use of resources. Uh, yeah, I would say that's true. And I think, like, you listen to, um, you listen to uh, Thomas Friedman there, and, like, I don't like to agree with Thomas Friedman, um, and I, but I kind of do in that, in that situation. And he is describing, essentially, like, my, like, most terrifying nightmare. Like, it's, I'm in hostile. Because the idea of, of Donald Trump uh, sitting down with Nancy Pelosi at Camp David probably would get Nancy Pelosi's immigration policy as the policy of the United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and this is an opportunity that the Democrats have had since the beginning. If instead of having a women's march the day after he's inaugurated, if they actually went to him and tried to talk him into these things and showed how popular he would be, like with criminal justice reform. I mean, that whole, that whole process is, you know, when he comes over and does something that has been typically more of a Democrat priority, though Mike Lee fought very hard for that as well and, and many other Republicans, but like when he got nonstop praise for it, and he likes nonstop praise. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. Do you know who else had an opportunity during that time? Mm-hmm. Republicans mm-hmm. Yeah. who controlled the White House in mm-hmm. both houses of yeah. Congress yeah. and did not a thing. Yeah, this you know, Friedman stuff I think is interesting because there there isn't really an open borders camp, a literal open borders camp in American politics. There isn't much of one. Maybe some guys over at Reason Magazine or something. Whether you believe in, you know, a lot less immigration or a lot more immigration, I don't think anyone believes in a lawless border and people just pouring across with no kinds of controls, uh, checks or um, or security. That's just not that's not a policy that anybody, I think, really supports. And I, you know, I grew up in Texas, spent a lot of time on the border, spent a lot of time in border towns. Know anyone who really thinks that's a good situation, including people who cross the border back and forth, you know, every week or sometimes every day. They live on one side and work on the other side. There's a lot of that. Um, you know, there's definitely a there's a border culture there and there's a border kind of way of doing things. And it's been there for a long time and people have developed sort of a modus vivendi. But I don't know of anyone really who thinks it's a good idea just to have people, you know, traipsing across in an uncontrolled way, either direction. I don't think on the Mexican side they like it very much either. Yeah. Andrew, you want to jump in before we move on? Yeah, I think Kevin nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I, I, will, I will say that I think on kind of the junior varsity level, I do think there is a kind of... Um, weak open borders argument that's happened just because there is so much whatever Trump wants, we want the exact opposite of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, but I, but I in, in terms of policymaker circles, I agree, I don't think it's there. Like when you look at, say, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, they all voted at some point to increase a wall um, because they did have some degree of, of border security they wanted. At some point. Yeah, yeah but recent. I mean, they, they wanted to give Trump, what, $25 billion to build the wall in 2017. He didn't take it because he wanted to get more, and now he's not even getting that offer. But it was part of a they were they would give him the wall for whatever grand bargain they could they could figure out. I mean, I don't think they're necessarily opposed to it. And as you point out, they they have voted for it several times. But I mean, that's not that long ago, and now they call it evil. It's like, well, you just were offering it. Like, <laughs> if you think it's evil, then you shouldn't have offered it. It's it's, it's turned into an emotional totem. Yes. Now the the actual yeah. you know policy ramifications of it are. are Really not on the table as much, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Joe Cella yes. finally happened. Joe Biden had an announcement this morning for everyone. Watch. I believe history will look back on four years of this president and all he embraces as an aberrant moment in time. But if we give Donald Trump eight years in the White House, 
He will forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation, who we are, and I cannot stand by and watch that happen. The core values of this nation are standing in the world, our very democracy. Everything that has made America, America is at stake. That's why today I'm announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Mm. Interesting that he shows Martin Luther King. Why doesn't he have whites in his eyes anymore? Oh my gosh, I was going to say that. It looks like, you know how you watch those movies where there's like the aliens <laughs> yeah. and their eyes are completely pitch black? Oh yeah. That's what he looks like. Uh, I didn't want to be the one to say the it. Reptilian so shapeshifters. Yes, he yes, looks creepy. Or, or he's Reaction on a peyote spirit right? journey, in which yeah. case I am intrigued. Go on. <laughs> I want to know what the other side says. Uh, I'm interested. I, the thing I like about that video is, I mean, there's a lot in there. When you go through the whole thing, there's just a lot of interesting parts. But, like, if that last part, you're listening to it, it, to me, really sounds like the House of Cards soundtrack. Like, it's like, it's a, mo- it's a song right out of House of Cards. And it, it's, it's an interesting thing to pitch yourself as a president. You, do you want to be Frank Underwood as your president? I don't, I don't think that's I mean, a good idea. It's not necessarily a good sell. Do. Well, they're a little common, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do think uh, if you listen to his messaging there, um, I think he's identified his path to this nomination, which is separate from Bernie's path. Obviously, everyone's kind of mentioning the sort of moderate versus uh, socialist sort of take, which is somewhat applicable to Joe, though he also is very, 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 very liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he's also seeing that one of the things that Bernie does not do well is uh, connect with black voters. And one of the things that Biden does do well is connect with black voters. And making... Connects with everyone constantly. Well, yeah, too much connection. <laughs> Stop connecting so much with your nostrils. Um, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where you could tell that's his, his direction. He looks... His polling is strongest in the early states in South Carolina. I mean, it's strong everywhere, but South Carolina, he's way ahead. Uh, and, you know, it's too early to really take too much out of that. But I think he sees that path as a, real, as a really, you know, a way he can, he can actually kind of separate himself without having to tell the audience that doesn't want to hear this that he's moderate. Because that's not going to help him win a primary. That's yeah. um, going to help him win a general, but it's not going to help him win a primary. And I think he's going to emphasize his, you know, his, his good performance with black voters early and, and moderate, moderates late, and maybe that's his path to the presidency. So Uncle Joe has the, uh, the black voters. Cory Booker might be a little bit embarrassed yeah. at this point in time, maybe. You need to start touching wondering people. What he's, yeah, yes. wondering what he's doing yeah, that's in the, the race, mm. you think? It's going to be a weird time for them. You know, uh, Bernie Sanders was in Houston yesterday and just, just about literally got laughed off the stage. He was at a community group meeting, and uh, someone asked him what he was going to do about white supremacist violence. And he starts with this thing about, well, you know, in 1963, I was marching with Dr. And they start just yelling at him. And, yeah, we know. We've heard the story before. <laughs> and someone actually literally shouted that, we know. Amazing. And uh, they just jeered at him, and he was just clearly confused. And there's, um, so there's a real rift in the Democratic Party between these you know, sort of old white guys who are, for whatever their current political incarnation, they're essentially old-fashioned Lyndon Johnson liberals. Um, that's sort of where they come from. They you know, play along with being other things. But there's a, there's a huge divide between that generation of Democrats and this new generation of people who are basically about identity politics, intersectionality, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just sort of being generally dumb and angry all the time. And you know, dumb and angry is a big, big voting block. And I think it's going to be really hard for someone like Biden to twenty-four electoral overcome. votes. Overcome, <laughs> yeah. The other thing about Biden is he's such a phony. You know, his whole train riding thing. I was on a train with him one time, and so you're not allowed to sit within sixteen rows of him or something like that. So it's the first class. You he know, gets his own cars. car. Basically, well, you, there's like three rows at the very back of the train, and then every time the train stops at a station, which there are a lot of stops between Philadelphia and D.C., they swarm the. Uh, 
platform with Secret Service guys and all that because, you know, Joe Biden can't allow the peasants to get close to him. Mm-hmm. And they keep you on the train for 15 minutes because well, he has to waddle off and, you know, toddle off uh, wherever he gets at the end there, at the, uh, at the end of it. His train shtick alone, I think, should be disqualifying. <laughs> it's, it's so frustrating to me, um, even, you know, to see that ad and to hear all of the, you know, the, the candidates in the race right now on the Democrat side talk about how terrible our country is right now. I mean, you would think that we were Venezuela at this Mm -hmm. point in time to hear them talk about, you know, America is at its worst. Aberrant period in our history. I mean, that's that's quite a statement. It's Uh, like, look at the unemployment numbers and look at the economy. I know there's a lot to be said on the tariffs, but so far. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's still overall has been been positive. Right. So it's just like, what are you guys complaining about? I think there's a dangerous element, too, particularly the way Biden approaches it, which is, you know, he's really elevating throughout this video uh, the whole Charlottesville situation mm-hmm. and yeah. these 350 morons who came out and said Jews will not replace us a bunch of times. And then let's not remember, forget the next year they tried to do it again and got no one. Yeah. So, like, that's how meaningful this group is in this country. They're a bunch of zeros. OK, it also wasn't it, it also wasn't the president. No, like it wasn't, it wasn't like he, right. he made a policy no, he didn't. that enacted yeah. for this to happen. His comments were, you really? know, Biden wanted to do his kickoff in Charlottesville and they yeah. asked him not to. Mm. Oh, did they really? Yeah. Oh. I, th- I think that's a smart move for Biden, though. I'll tell you why. Because Biden is running on a temperamental argument. Which, yeah. like, and, and mm-hmm. if, if this were a temperamental referendum, 100% Joe Biden over, over, oh, uh, okay. uh, you know, over, over Trump. I'd much rather be neighbors with Joe Biden than Donald Trump. Uh, but what he's got... Uh, washing his Camaro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, he seems like a nice guy. I would, I would hang out with Joe Biden. When I worked on the Hill, everybody thought he was a great guy. Um, so temperamentally, uh, he's got a, a strong suit. He's a nice guy, right? Um, where he's going to have a problem with the primaries is that he doesn't have really a clearly delineated policy. Um, he hasn't come out, and I take this as a good sign, that he hasn't come out in favor of the New Green Deal, and he hasn't come out in favor of Medicare for All. I am hoping that that is not just a latency in him to, to jump on the bandwagon, but rather some semblance of fiscal responsibility on his part. Uh, but because he's not doing that, he can't run on the firebrand progressive ticket, nor can he run on, this is my very clear Elizabeth Warren, gigantic style, how to fix everything, regulatory state. So he's going to run on temperament, which I think he's got a decent shot on. It might be a good political idea, but I do think that there's dangers in elevating these groups like this. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing happens after mass shootings when we take these people, I mean, you know, doc, you know movie after movie after documentary after documentary about, about Columbine was just out and we did a bunch of that and we make these people into like superheroes i mean like the fact that like i mean think about this from the white supremacist perspective we have like changed the race in fact now candidates of the united states are responding to us and entering the race for this it's the same thing that happened in new zealand they changed all the gun laws for this one horrible person who used a gun in a terrible way and like i that doesn't that doesn't minimize those groups that, that empowers them if you look at the late 1960s, early 1970s, the number of Americans who were killed in political violence, you know, the assassinations, mm-hmm. sniper attacks uh, on the East Coast, the riots and all that sort of stuff, really, really disorderly and dangerous times, nothing like uh, what they are now, you know, much less is it 1861, you know, it's not even sure. 1968. And um, I think when we look back at this, you know, in 100 years, it's going to be remembered as a particularly unconsequential, inconsequential and boring period in American history. And they're going to say, well, they elected their first black president and that was an interesting time. And then there was this guy who was a game show host, and that was kind of weird. And <laughs> so basically, if you take Twitter out of history. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And uh, I wish we could. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Yesterday's poll, should the 2020 census include a citizenship question? 96% of you said yes. 4% said no. 
Uh, no surprises there. Very nuanced debate on our Twitter poll, <laughs> as usual. <laughs> and then today's poll, Joe Biden is, as we just discussed, in the 2020 race. But will the progressive radicals of the Democratic Party accept someone with a checkered past like hashtag creepy Uncle Joe? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that we, you know, we kind of discussed this earlier. It's just I think it will be interesting to see who really has control of the Democrat Party at this point in time. What do you think, Kevin? I think that uh, you know, Joe Rogan actually has this right, that the way we vote in presidential elections is just like you know, bouncing back and forth between the two most opposite things we can think of. And so the Democrats will want whoever looks like the anti-Trump. It's not a question of policy or even temperament so much, but uh, you know, more of a question of identity. You know, the Republicans coalesced behind Trump because they wanted a cultural repudiation of Barack Obama and what he stood for. And now the Democrats are in the same position. They want a national cultural repudiation of Donald Trump, Trumpism, and, uh, and the people he's associated with. And so they're going to be looking, I think, for whatever looks most like that. And I don't think it's Joe Biden. What's the out of the 20-person race? Uh, who is that person the most, do you think? I would guess maybe someone like Kamala Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I keep coming Even back though, weirdly enough, politically, yeah. she's one of the more conservative ones, just with her against her yeah, yeah. stuff. I saw her Israel statement the other day. I was like, you can't, she needs to just delete this from her. What'd she said? She said, like, it, it, deser- it, it deserves the right to exist, yeah. and like it was like it was like actually like Whoa. a sensible. And I, I mean, I'm sure she's no, you know, she's not exactly a conservative on the you issue. Don't say but that in the Democrat like, party. I, I feel these like days. they throw you out of the party if you yeah. say that at this point. Um, it's wow. it, you know, it's interesting to see if uh, if if she can because she does. She has some sub uh, tough on crime mm-hmm. stuff in her past. She has a weird mix of policies, and I, I you know I think this splits into two places where it's like she had this big launch and then it's fading away. Some people think. And then she, uh, and, or she showed that he had this big launch and then has basically just stayed in the background, third or fourth place, is raising tons of money. Mm-hmm. She has, uh, he, she has more, I think it's uh, more than twice any other candidate's big uh, Obama-Clinton um, bundlers that are already with her. Yep. Um, the, you know, long, she's playing a long game here. She, mm-hmm. She's realizing that winning a Twitter war in April 2019 uh, is not going to really help her in the election. If she's playing the smart, which it does appear that she does, she is, she's a dangerous candidate. I mean, she could, and she's much more scary than someone like Alexandria yeah. Ocasio-Cortez when it comes yeah. to these, these things. Yeah, I have a little she pet theory brain. about her, which is that because California has such a political monoculture, California Democrats are actually the least defensive Democrats in the country. And so mm-hmm. they don't feel compelled to always toe the party line and every now and then say something sensible. You know the mayor of uh, Los Angeles who was thinking about getting into the race, uh, Garcetti, I guess is his name, mm-hmm. will occasionally say some reasonably sensible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, nutty as she is, is, relatively speaking, a voice of reason in that party. In that part right now. Yeah. Yeah. To the rest of the people. And I think, you know, Harrison and some of the other uh, California Democrats are actually, um, they're more comfortable speaking sensibly than, say, our Democrats from Houston. Hmm. Hmm. Andrew, final word. Um... Again, I think Kevin summed it up for me. He absolutely nailed it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I throw, I, I'm interested to see what happens. First, with, it was flattery. Now it's a joke. I think Kamala Harris is a really good bet for who will take the 2020 nominee or who will take the 2020 uh, Democratic nomination. Uh, and I say that in part because I, I, I don't tend to rely on polls. I tend to look at betting odds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the betting odds right now, which are disturbing to me, have um, Bernie Sanders. I think still at the top, uh, mm-hmm. where it might be Joe Biden by like three three percentage points. But Bernie Sanders is doing very well according to people who are willing to put money in it. 
which is the thing that I tend to keep an eye on. Because you call people at their house and like, right now polling is basically, have you heard of a candidate? Yeah. Which the people putting money in actually have some thought to it. Kamala Harris seems to be doing about um, a third place in there. And uh, uh, I, yeah, I think she could do quite well. Uh, still hoping for a dark horse uh, John Hickenlooper or yeah. Andrew Yang yeah. to, uh, to come up and just like do that pro-business uh, pro Democrat thing. And I'd like, you know, I hope Tulsi Gabbard gets her moment in the sun because I, I would like for somebody to, to really bring American foreign policy into relief. I think she could do that. All right, let us know what you think at The Blaze's Twitter. That is at The Blaze. Kevin, thank you so much again for being here. It's been wonderful to have you again. We'll see you guys tomorrow. You don't have to thank us. I mean, it's no big deal. I mean, we're sitting right here, but no. Go ahead. Just thank Kevin and don't thank us. Thank you so much, Kevin. Do you have any idea how how many washing machines I own? Three washing machines. Thanks for listening to the news and why it matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.